Good morning. My name is Kayla Hurst, and I'm one of the pastors here at Northgate. I am so glad that you're here with us today. Even though we're not physically meeting together right now, we still believe that God is transforming our homes, communities, and world. That's why we're still pursuing God, building community, and unleashing compassion. So today, let's pursue God together as we talk about who God is. In this series, we started on Easter talking about God as Waymaker. Last week, we saw him as miracle worker, and next week, we'll know him more fully as light in the darkness. But this week, I want to talk about how our God is a promise keeper. Have you ever made a promise? Have you ever broken a promise? It's my experience that there are two kinds of people, the kind of people who never, ever break promises and the people who have children. I always considered myself to be a fairly trustworthy person, keeping my word no matter what it took. But then I had these little womb gremlins, my children, and I find things coming out of my mouth that are just ridiculous. Now, you should be warned that I have always had a flair for the dramatic, especially when it came to threats. See, when they were little, it was things like, if you don't pick up your toys right now, I'm going to pile them up and light them all on fire in the front yard. Now listen, I was not about to light anything on fire. And honestly, I bought those stinking toys. If I got rid of them, I would just have to buy more later. It was ridiculous. I never planned on keeping that promise. As they got older, I made the mistake of taking away their cell phones as punishment only to realize that it was actually really helpful for them to have their phone when I was picking them up from school so I knew when they were done and didn't have to sit in my car for two hours waiting. Recently, it sounded more like, if you talk to me like that one more time, you are never going to see the outside of this house, not for a million years. Ooh, evidently I meant that one more than I thought. Just kidding. All joking and bad parenting aside, Sometimes a promise is broken due to circumstances that can't be avoided. That's where the phrase from the South, Lord willing and the creek don't rise, came from. But when someone continually breaks his or her promises, it becomes clear that they can't be trusted. On the other hand, when a person always keeps his or her word, it's easy to look forward to their next promise with trust. Keeping promises builds trust. And trust is the best insurance during uncertainty. I don't know about you, but these last couple of months, I've wished that there was some kind of pandemic insurance available, something we could cash in to make all the uncertainty stabilize when the whole world feels shaky. But there is only one person I know of that has a 100% positive track record of keeping promises. And it's a long track record too. One writer put it this way, God's word sings of his promise-keeping character over and over again, even and especially through some of the most flawed human beings. With Noah, who later got drunk and was shamed in front of his family, God promised to never destroy humanity again by flood. With Moses, who at first hesitated to obey and then disobeyed a direct command, he promised to lead his people out of slavery into the promised land. With David, who committed adultery and ordered a man to his death, he promised to build a house under his name and establish his kingdom forever. In our text today, we're going to the Old Testament, to the very first book of the Bible. We're going to follow only a portion of Abram's story in the book of Genesis. God made several promises to Abram. The promises he made were so big, they seemed impossible. 
The Lord promised to build a nation through Abram by giving him descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. He also promised that it was through those descendants that he would bless the whole world, all humans, and eventually he would keep that promise through Jesus. But today, with the time we have left, I want to show you another promise we can hold tightly to. And it's one I've found particularly helpful during this collective season of uncertainty we're all experiencing right now. It's one of those promises that our promise keeper God embodies so intimately that it actually became one of the names we know him by. It's tucked in the middle of Abram's story, the time between God's promise about descendants and his fulfillment through the birth of his son, Isaac. In Genesis 16, Sarai, Abram's wife, was 77 years old and Abram was 86. Sarai begins to give up hope on this promised offspring. Starting in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said, and he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. I know, I know. You're saying to yourself, how could this possibly go wrong? (laughs) Verse 6. Well, then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. Hagar took off in the direction of her homeland, out through the desert. This was obviously a very dangerous thing for any woman to do at that time, or any time, really. She probably didn't have time to gather a ton of supplies before she escaped, and she could have been taken captive by someone else, or, being pregnant, she could have lost her baby from traveling in terrain like that. But somehow, she made it to a spring of water in the desert, and she sat down exhausted. What could a pregnant single woman do? Even if she reached her home in Egypt, if she even had family there, they would have been too poor to help her. Hagar would have known about Abram's God. She must have wondered if that God knew or cared about her. She had to be confused. Things had just started to look up for her. And now her future was uncertain. Her past was too painful to even think about. She felt abandoned by everyone on earth and overlooked by this God in heaven. It's in that context that we read verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. Stop right there. Look at this picture of our compassionate God. He found this poor, confused servant girl in the middle of the desert. He found her and he met her there. And doesn't he do that for us too? He finds us right in the middle of our desert, our mess, our misery. He finds us and he meets us. The angel gives her instructions, tells her what he wants her to do. And then he says he will more than take care of her through the baby that she's carrying. And then this beautiful thing happens. Verse 13. Hagar responds by giving a new name to God. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are El Roy, the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. I love this. Did you catch it? First, God sees Hagar. And then Hagar sees God. Isn't that how it works with us? God sees us wherever we are, no matter how dark or deep the place we find ourselves in. Second Chronicles says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. 
The psalmist says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. God sees us just like he saw Hagar. And in the same way Hagar saw God in his mercy, we can see him too. Paul Claudel wrote, Christ did not come to do away with suffering. He did not come to explain it. He came to fulfill it with his presence. Sometimes it's in the middle of your suffering that you can most clearly see the God who sees you. Easier said than done, right? I know. And this is where our God as promise keeper comes in handy. Remember, we said when someone keeps their promises, it builds trust. And trust is the only insurance we have in the face of uncertainty and even pain. So when you're in the middle of your uncertainty and you're not feeling very trusting, maybe you're worn down or maybe the rug just got pulled out from underneath you. Maybe you've been let down by the people who are closest to you, the ones who are supposed to have your back. Everything is pushing you toward the edge of despair and you are hanging on for dear life. Or maybe you're past that. You're down in the pit of it right now. You are actually in the desert with Hagar, hopeless and exhausted. Friend, this is the moment we remind ourselves the way God has shown up in the past. We tell our souls about the times he came through with exactly what we needed, exactly when we needed it. We say to our fears that there is a God who sees us, who hears us, who knows us. Friends, this is the moment we preach the gospel to our feelings. Isaiah 43, 2, when I pass through the waters, God will be with me. And when I pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over me. When I walk through the fire, I will not be burned. The flames will not set me ablaze. Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? John 8.12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We preach the gospel to our feelings until they catch up with the truth. And sometimes we even need help with that. When my first baby was born, my mom came out to stay with us for a couple weeks to help out. It was such a sweet time for a lot of reasons, but the lessons I learned from her during that time were priceless. One night, Mackenzie was having a particularly hard time staying asleep, as newborns often do. I was exhausted, and my mom offered to stay up with her until she needed to be fed. I enthusiastically agreed to that arrangement and put myself to bed immediately. It got quiet for long enough that I fell asleep, only to wake up an hour later with more cries coming through the baby monitor on my nightstand. I started to roll out of bed until I heard the sound of my mom opening the door to the nursery. I heard her talk sweetly to my baby, telling her everything was going to be okay. She heard her. I heard her get Kenzie out of the crib and start the process of changing her diaper, 
By the way, that did not make the baby any happier at all. After that torturous process and underneath the angry cries of my newborn, I heard the distinctive sound of my mom settling into my grandmother's rocking chair. She rocked for a bit, cooing at Mackenzie, letting her know she was all right, patting her back. But this baby was having none of it. Then I heard my mom start to sing. It started out kind of quiet. It was mostly old hymns with some newer worship songs mixed in here, here and there. She was singing. Mackenzie was crying. She sang a little louder. Mackenzie cried a little louder. It escalated quite a bit, and I was about to get out of bed crying myself at this point. And then I heard it. Mackenzie started to get quieter, and then quieter, and quieter still, until all I heard coming through the baby monitor was my mom singing. Then I think we all fell asleep. The next day, I remember asking my mom how she did it. What sorcery was it that got my baby to stop crying? How did you do it? What did you do to make her calm down? She looked at me the way only moms can and said, Oh, honey, sometimes you just have to sing louder than they cry. Friends, this is why we need the church. This is why we need each other. Sometimes we have to sing louder than they cry. There are people in our community that can barely get the words out right now. Their world has been turned upside down in ways we can't even fathom. There are people watching right now, people that are a part of our church family, that want to believe there is a God who sees them, that want to say to God that he is way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, but they can't even get through the first line of the song without weeping. This is when we come beside and behind them. We sing the truth for them until they can sing it for themselves. Sometimes we have to sing louder than we cry. So let's do that right now. I'm going to pray, then we'll sing together, and then Pastor Larry has a special message for you after the song. Father God, thank you for being our promise keeper. Thank you for being the God who sees us. And thank you for being the kind of God that allows us to see you. Father, we love you and we trust you. We declare that you are good and loving and powerful. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray these things. Amen.